There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. My favorite part is just mice and singing along, and it, <laughs> the, the ribbits in the background. The ribbit. Ramit. The ribbit. ribbit. That's when you know it's a fishy. The ribbit. 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 That's a, that's a story that uh, people of a certain age with a military history will remember. Have you ever heard of ribbits, Mison? Ribbit. No. Yeah. So here's a little bit of... No, no, it was recent. This is my generation in the Army. I I recommend... uh, Do do a Google search. There was a drink, and I guarantee you, everybody who was in the Army or the Marines when I was in is like, oh, shit, we're talking about rippets. There was a drink that uh, the Army gave out this contract to. It was an energy drink. So it's supposed to be like Red Bull or like uh, any of those other energy drinks, right? Except... uh, this one was made mostly from chemicals that the FDA had not approved yet. So uh, <laughs> you would get very intoxicated, but not like in a drunk way, in a, like a speed demon way, like I can walk through walls kind of way, uh, just off like two rippets and a little bit of a uh, cigarette ash. There's an old, old army cocktail in there that we used to make. So I'll, get, I'll give you yeah, a hand. Go, go ahead, Google rippets. People to drown. <laughs> More or less, but yeah. like you drown by breathing air. You know what I mean? It's like one of those, like your body just locks up. It's so hyped up. Give it, anybody listen, anybody who remembers, hit us up. Give me your rip it stories. We'll, we'll make them happen next time on Tertiary Radio because I got a bunch, but uh, this is a semi family friendly show, and I'm not telling my rip it story. That's a damn thing. <laughs> it definitely sounds like one of those that'll make you drown. Like you, you drink it, and you think suddenly you can walk on water. <laughs> Like, oh, What's this is what liquid shit? cocaine – this is what liquid cocaine does. Okay, yeah, no, I can do this. Yeah, sure. What's What's funny about you saying that is like a uh, – when you're talking about it, you start thinking about like serving and stuff. is like when you Google it, the first video you see is Marine Rippet Energy Drink, and this guy with like <laughs> shades on looks – I don't know what he's saying, but the screenshot of him talking in the camera is priceless. <laughs> I bet it is. You're going to have to link me to it, man, because I, I, I haven't even looked in a decade. There's no way that Rippets – they've got to be – somebody took them to court, I'm sure, and won $30 million. Like, I drank one Rippet, and my entire liver dissolved. And the, the people who make Rippets were like, yeah, that'll happen. It's on the can. It's your fault for it's drinking a, it's it. A really, it's a really good chance that somebody did take them to court. I'm sure. Oh, man. I'm sure. You're going to have to tell me about this Rippet story off air then. Oh, <laughs> All right. So how how's 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 the day going? You know, 
I feel like every single Rams fan out there, their day should be different, considering that uh, there's a winning record to make you feel better. How was the end of the streak, man? Up this morning. The end of the streak. I tagged. I tagged SB Nation. I let them know it's over. Every single SB Nation site now has covered winning season. We were the last ones. Our last winning season was 2003. <laughs> I don't. It's weird. It's just weird. That is weird. That is so weird, and just it's kind of crazy, really, when you think about it. But man, it's the drought what, is over. What's been great is to see everybody's stories of like, where were you the last time? You know, you, the Rams had a winning season, and granted, fourteen years is a lot of lifetime to get through. So everybody goes back fourteen years, and you know, oh man, I was forty pounds lighter, or oh, I still actually like my wife, or any of those stories is like, you know, fourteen years is a long time. <laughs> So anything you can pick up from there. What what's your what's your story? Two thousand three, last time the Rams had a winning record, where was Mike in, in his fourteen life? years ago? I was fifteen. <laughs> and I was uh just finishing up my uh sophomore year of football. Yeah. Drinking that pomegranate was... tea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> No, I, I hadn't become the avid tea drinker that I am now. But, oh, you know, the, the, sophistic, the sophisticated tea drinker that I am now. You know? Now I, I, I have a PTI. picture of you in my head, I like with a with a. With a yeah, I was gonna say like one of those uh, cognac. What do they call them? The cognac kind of uh, glasses with your hand underneath, <laughs> shaking it around. Ah, elderflower. Hmm. Yes, of course. Yeah. Exactly. I was Shannon Sharp. I was Shannon Sharp before Shannon Sharp. The, the black and yak. Shannon Sharp. <laughs> the <Bob> and yak. <laughs> Shannon Sharp. I was trying to get you classy. Shannon Sharp is assy, and Shannon Sharp is <laughs> other other non-family friendly things. Like that. I know, right? Well, I mean, hey, it, if you if you don't know about Shannon Sharp now and his mouths and yak. Then there's a problem, family friendly or not. I think everyone knows about that. <laughs> if you don't know what milds and yak are, that's what that's that's where you need to do the education. Get you get you learned up on some black and milds or gold and milds. You ever had gold and milds? No. <laughs> that, see, that was you talked milds. about. <laughs> that was that was the first time I started to try to graduate to classy. Was you know what? I'm done with black and milds. I'm done. You know what? I'm getting the hood out of my system. I'm graduating to Golden Miles without realizing, oh, shit, this is equally as hood. This is a no-go, too. It sounds like the hoodest thing ever, Golden Miles. Like, what? It was a black – here's the thing. I'm 99% sure it was a black and mild just in a different case and just charged up an extra 50 cents to make you think, oh, now I'm living. Well, you know what? After yesterday and becoming a winning team for the first time in 14 years, we're everyone the, was the golden mile. Everyone was entitled to a golden, <laughs> a golden mile and some yak. <laughs> and if you if you didn't want to do the yak, you should do a rip it. <laughs> oh man, be careful! Uh, listeners are going to drop by 15 percent. Just everybody falling off. <laughs> my ears don't work anymore. I had a I had a sip of that rip it, and all of a sudden I can't hear on my right ear. I don't know what happened. <laughs> the rip it was the uh was the the four loco before four loco but like it was, that'll be a thing. Watch, I guarantee you the NFL there's a thing somewhere where the NFL is like, Look, we really care about player safety. 
Uh, we're trying to minimize <laughs> concussions, but the first step we've taken is to make sure none of our players try rippets. We care about their internal <laughs> organs too much. No rippets for anybody. <laughs> rippets uh, taking over the NFL, completely changing the uh, what you're allowed to, to service body list. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. I'm gonna have to definitely look at the video after the show. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, after it's gonna be interesting. I feel like it's it a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit hole you can go down. I'm sure listeners are going down it right now, saying, "What the hell?" I guess I gotta check this out. Check it out. Fun times. <laughs> well, so we are we're gonna be joined today by everyone's favorite, <laughs> none other, the man, the myth, the legend. RVD Ryan Van Bieber. That's this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a good day. That's gonna be a good day. We, we we're we're a winning team. We got the man ride the phoenix rising from the ashes. The re, resurface is showing space again, stepping away from all his duties of running the NFL for SB uh, for SB Nation. And it's just like okay, we are uh we are we we're gonna be we're gonna be have fun tonight. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> I was texting Ryan Van Bibber. What was I supposed to be listening to and responding to? No, I just, I guess your phone, it does that vibrate thing when you type, right? I don't know, did it? See, this is what happens when you, when we, when we run a very professional podcast, everybody. We are definitely, definitely aware of what's no, going on here. Look, you, there's no such thing as professional when you smoked a gold in a <laughs> gold in mouth. You are you are the unprofessional for life. <laughs> for life. That's, that's, you are Somebody out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. But here's the thing though. Anybody who that's, responds you know, to us, that's it's like, like of course I know what golden mouth. Don't admit it. Don't admit it. This goes on the public record. I took the fall for you. I was your scapegoat. Like I can soak up all the golden like mild shame. Like that sounds like some of your text and stuff, like your sardines and mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> like this, what, that's this what is an easy like one. Everybody can just go. I, I have no idea what golden miles are. I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would I have ever heard of such a product? I got out in front of that for all y'all. Don't waste my sacrifice. <laughs> well, look. Let's go. Let's dive in. What we uh, wait for. Ryan to jump on. I'm sure he'll be over here in a minute. Sure be here. I, it's something I it's something I've been wanting to talk about because when I was watching it yesterday, I was just like, you know what? Joe can't can't complain. He should be happy. And that was the defensive line. It wasn't a lot, it wasn't necessarily there was a lot of blitzing, but just the line was getting some really good pressure. What did you think of that pressure yesterday? They had six sacks. How good was, should have been seven? How good was Michael Brockers? I don't know why they didn't count Robert Quinn's sack, but yeah, they were getting yeah. after him. How good was Michael Brockers, man? He had I mean, how I'm, game of his career? I mean, obviously we're getting to the point where when you're talking about guys like Michael Brockers, Roger Saffold, Trumaine Johnson, and even Ogletree, those are like, you know, the, the longest veterans on the team. They've never been in this situation before. They've never played late season football. So as, right. as tenured as they are and as long as they've been around, when they have a good game at this point, you're talking about the game of their career. And I, I get it. Maybe Arizona Cardinals aren't necessarily, especially when you look ahead to the schedule, we got Philly and Seattle up next. Maybe a game against Arizona can't necessarily uh, count as the game of the career. But, man, Brock had a game. And Aaron Donald, I mean, it's one of those things you try not to understate how damn incredible he is. Uh, but 
he's just so damn good. And when, when Brock's having a game like that next to Aaron Donald being himself, those two can terrorize a, a line by themselves. It doesn't take much more. I mean, Aaron Donald was about a half an inch away from his third sack uh, at one point in the game in the fourth quarter, you know, just barely escaped playing average a, a big guy with some mobility. So that's any other quarterback. I think he gets that third sack. But Brockers definitely had himself two blocks. I mean, man. <laughs> and, and the first thing I could actually think about, which is so crazy, was when he got that second block, um, my immediate thought was the day he was drafted. I remember sitting there. Uh, I was at Hooters with some friends, and we're watching the draft. And when he gets drafted, Drinking a ribbon. one of the highlights, one of the highlights from LSU <laughs> is of him blocking the kicks. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's like he has a history of it. And that was the first thing yep. that I thought about. It was like, well, looks like he, that's that's something he hasn't lost yet. And you know, over the years of being with the Rams, this isn't the first time he's gotten his hand up and get his hand on a, on a kick. So, but this is the first time we've seen it twice in one game for him. So, I, I definitely, man, he was he was kind of all over, and he was really disruptive. He uh. Disruptive in the pass game, uh, he was really, really getting after Gabbert. Didn't get any sacks, but he kept flashing. <laughs> he, he was flashing quite yeah. a bit. And got in the back. So I, I, uh, let's bring on RVB, man. I got an RV here. Let me see if we can bring him on, especially because we're talking about Michael Brocker, somebody goes back to 2012. Mr. Ryan Vibber, <laughs> editor of the NFL for SB Nation. What's up, man? Hey, man. What's going on? What's going on? It's, it, I have to. Well, we're talking about Michael Brockers. First thing I have to point out: this is episode twenty-one of season nine, Ryan Van Bibber. Season nine Damn. of Tertia Radio. <laughs> I know. It, it's one of those things. We were just talking about the idea of now the Rams having a winning record, and obviously yesterday's game against the Cardinals. But going back to two thousand three, where we were when the last time the Rams had a winning record. Where was Ryan Van Bibber the last time the Rams had a winning record in two thousand three? 2003, man, I'd have to think about this a little bit. I was still living in Colorado at the time, so it was – I was watching football in the bars on Sunday where I worked and hung out quite a bit. So that was kind of – that was kind of how I decided. I'm like, man, I could talk about football with people all day and get paid for it. That would be a pretty sweet deal. So here I am. You've done a pretty damn good job at it, I would say. So I have a a question for you. I explain to people what it is that goes into your job. How would would you explain what the NFL editor for SB Nation does? Meetings. Go to a lot of meetings. No. That's about right. No, I mean, you know, we decide, you know, it's it's deciding what we cover and how to cover it. Because, you know, obviously we don't get, you know, we don't have, you know, an unlimited staff or anything like that. So it's like we got to kind of pick and choose what we cover and how we cover it. And we have a network of, you know, as you well know, 32 team sites. And, you know, we are sort of complementary to that. I mean, we want to be part of that coverage but not stepping on anyone's toes or anything like that. So, you know, I think it's just kind of, you know, a big part of it is determining, you know, how we want to take, you know, we want to be different from and the whole reason we started turf show times in the first place is because we wanted to be different about how we talked about the Rams and what we got with the old game recaps and reports from the locker rooms that the, that the radio and newspaper was giving us at the time. So I think that's kind of the, at the core of everything we do, whether it's Eli Manning getting benched or the giants being a disaster or whatever. So, so, Ryan, just kind of going back to yesterday, what did you think of this Rams 
like defensive front just getting after it. Like they, we haven't seen them perform this well like all year. <laughs> you know, just just strictly the D line, just by themselves, just getting after the uh, the quarterback. I thought it was their best the best game of the year. Like, what was your thoughts on what you saw from uh from the crew, Brocker? It's good to who, see. <laughs> It just is like, right. That wasn't the offense's best game. You know what I mean? Like the offense is yeah. obviously yeah. the big story this year has been Jared Goff is is doing really well and the offense is great. I mean, it went from the Jeff Fisher offense to this powerhouse offense, and you know they didn't have their best day yesterday. But you know the nice thing I think what's so great about this Rams team is you know we saw that last week against the Saints is like you know when one part isn't quite all at its best, you've got the other part that can kind of hold up its end of the bargain too. And I think that's really what is so incredible about this team right now. Yeah. Hey, I got a question you for know, you because you, Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, 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 go ahead. You got it. It was just because you mentioned Jeff Fisher and because, you know, we get trapped inside <laughs> of Rams bubble so often. And I get, I get it. People want to trash Jeff Fisher and he's a, he's an easy scapegoat for everything. What what is the sense, given that the Rams have so many people that we're talking about Michael Brockers, Roger Saffold's having a phenomenal year, Todd Gurley looks reborn, Jared Goff's career, even though he's only in his second year, looks resuscitated. A lot of what the Rams are doing is just getting more out of the guys that have been there, right? And so when you've got Jeff Fisher gone and guys like Jared Goff and Case Keenum look like competent NFL quarterbacks, what is, what is the sense from outside the Rams bubble of what kind of quarterback Jeff Fisher is. Because obviously if you polled Rams fans, they've probably got him as the worst head coach in the history of the sport. Is, is that hyperbole outside the Rams bubble, or do people outside of this circle think uh, somewhat similar? I mean, is he the worst coach in NFL history? I mean, probably not. I mean, you know, you still got, you know, Marty Morningwigs, Lions, and, and, <laughs> and sort of the legendary moments like that. I mean, you know, the, the thing that makes Fisher – such an NFL commodity made him such an NFL commodity for 22 seasons was that he was always sort of consistently mediocre. I mean, you know, he'd have those games with those terrible Rams teams and they'd come in and beat the Seahawks when the Seahawks were at the top of their game. And so you'd always kind of wondered about it. And I mean, he can take a bad team, a two win team and turn them into a seven to nine win team. And it's just sort of like, you know, there's a respectability that goes along with it. I think the most, the biggest condemnation of Fisher to me is that it's a good example of why you can't give the head coach authority over personnel too. I mean, I think that you've got to, I think there's a case to be made for separation of powers in that regard, because, you know, you look at the changes, it's not just the COVID, obviously the coaching's tremendously better, but you know, the roster decisions are much better this year. I mean, do you really think they would have drafted, cup if Fisher would still been in the draft room I mean do you really think they would have would have you know gone out and signed Andrew Whitworth if Fisher was still in there I mean I'm kind of dubious of that you know my, you my question though my question to that I'll get to my question in a sec the other one in a sec but my question to that is how much do we really think that has changed uh with the personnel decisions with Fisher being going like I fully 100% believe that in that first year or two that was like all Fisher. But then after that, you know, you start looking at some of the personnel moves and I'm not a hundred percent so that it was all Fisher, you know, uh, with the exception of the girly pick that has a Fisher written all over it. Yes, <laughs> girly has panned out, but it was probably the dumbest pick they could have made, even though he panned out, 
you know, um, they just had so many other things they needed to do, and they had a staple of backs. They didn't really need to make that pick. But uh, that, that had Fisher written all over. But outside of that, in the past two or three drafts, I feel like that, that was a lot to do with Snead. I, I definitely feel like last year was with uh, the Jared Goff trade and all of that. You know, the, the reports came out saying that it was Snead who initiated all that and just took it upon himself to go and start and talk to John Robinson and say, hey, let's make a deal, you know, and go get the, go get his guy. And then you have Mike Silver, I think it was, who came out saying that it wasn't – Fisher didn't want to take him. You know, so – uh, how much? How much is it now that's really different from when Fisher was here? I know in the beginning it was probably all Fisher, but at some point I, it seems like he took the uh, took the handles. What, like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I mean, I think it was both. You know, I mean, I, we know that Fisher had ultimate say over personnel. Now, I think the golf thing's interesting because you know there was pressure to get from higher up than just Fisher to get a quarterback, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of those decisions that you wonder about. I mean, you know, drafting how many defensive linemen over the years and, you know, a few of them panned out exceptionally and a few of them kind of don't work. And then you have, you know, how many picks did we draft running backs with? I mean, (laughs) was just, you know, I I mean, I'm glad they got Gurley. He's definitely a special player, but you know, you, you, you look at the team over the years and they probably would have been, all things considered probably would have been fine, you know, had they gone other directions besides running back after running back with those first 100 picks that they moved. And I think too, you look at some of the, how the players have panned out in other places. That's always kind of interesting to me. It's like, why is LaMarcus Joyner having his best year ever now? And why is, yep. you know, I mean, Aaron Donald's always been great. I mean, there's no question about yeah. that. I, you know, he was a force on, Sunday, but you know, the rest of the line is playing well around him. And you really, there's like, and you know, what's kind of funny is like, this isn't really much of you know, Robert Quinn, pretty quiet contribution wise yeah. this season, not just a huge output from him this year. So, you know, they're finding these guys that can kind of get it done in ways that, you know, and we all thought this would be a transition year because while they're moving from a four, three to a three, four defense, that usually, you know, that usually takes a year to get in a, get the adjustments made and players used to it and everything like that. So, I don't know. It's just you know, it, it's a it's a completely different team than it was at the start of last season, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that. And a lot of it has to do with Jeff Fisher, and a lot of it I think has to do with the fact that you know, you know, the Rams we've seen over the. It's funny since we started Turf Show Times in '06 with Linehan's first year as head coach, and just how much of the Rams history that we've covered over there has been about just an organization constantly plagued with infighting. I mean, you know, the March, the breakup with Mike Martz and how ugly that is with Sean. Uh, uh, I can't think of the other guy's name. The bean counter guy. Damn it. What was his name? It was sort of the de facto genius for a while. It had no. Jay Zygmunt? What? Jay Zygmunt? Yeah, maybe. But no, you know, no football, <laughs> not a football personnel guy whatsoever and then and then Linehan and those guys get in and then Spagnolio you know with all the crazy Nixonian shit inside the building that Spagnolio is doing and then Fisher and the you know the power structure the way that's all settled and stuff there and then you know lo and behold they moved to Los Angeles it's probably the best thing that happened to the team I I hate to say that for my St. Louis peeps out there but it it exposed Fisher he wasn't he didn't have the protection that he does in a small market like St. Louis yeah, you know it. 
you you mentioned Gurley and just kind of what he's been, you know, how good he's been, and he's really, really been good, especially this year. One thing that I I don't like to say I hear people say too often is that he recaptured his rookie year form. I think that that's <laughs> a, I think that's kind of like spitting in his face, right? Because when you get outside those, those first four uh, starts, he didn't really do too much, you know, whereas this girly is like a consistent game after game after game girly where <laughs> – He's bringing it. He's bringing it every single week, and it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, you look at his rookie year. A lot of his, you know, big games came from one big run. You know, where his yardage was all piled on from a fifty-yard run, or you know, he had a a streak of fifty-yard runs or whatever it was. You know, that's not the case this year. You know, he doesn't have a bunch of fifty-yard runs. Actually, he doesn't have any fifty-yard runs this year. You know. So that's right. not the case this year. He he's he's more so just very consistent, grinded out, and not just like three yards, but he's consistently getting fourteen, fifteen yards on runs. And yeah. I like this girly. But the thing that I like the most is his pass, is his receiving. You know, yesterday he uh, he led the team again in receiving, and you know it's like how good has he really gotten at that? And where you know, Joe, I want you to answer this too. But where should we begin to rank him amongst the league's most complete backs? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, you know what's so interesting, I think, with McVay this year is how much they've used him in the passing game, unlike, you know, you yep. saw in the past with Gurley. I mean, it's yep. a pretty smart move on McVay's part to get him the ball, that, to find ways to get Todd Gurley the ball. He doesn't have to be a beast when he runs it. You know, he can be just as effective in the running game. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, what, he's got 48 catches on the season already. I mean, yeah. that's the NFL best or the best of his career so far. So it's a, yeah. you know, he, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to confuse him for say, you know, Lamar Miller or Marshall Falk or anything like that. He's just not that kind of back, but you know, he's an offensive weapon and they're using him like one. And I think that's, you know, to the, to credit McVay, they found, they found really smart ways to use the players they have. And I think what's interesting is, you, you know, you bring up like Lamar Mill and obviously Mark, there's always going to be, you know, a connection to Marshall Falk just because he's on the same team. Yeah. And, you know, Todd, Todd Gurley crossed 1,500 yards from scrimmage this week, and we're only through three quarters of the season. So he's on pace, I mean, albeit by the tiniest of threads, but on pace to cross 2,000 yards from scrimmage this year. That's the kind of thing where, yeah. you, and, and because it's only his third season in the NFL and the first season in whatever kind of system Sean McVay wants to build here, I don't know what kind of a running back he's turning into mice. And, I, you know, it's hard to say what his ceiling is because this is by far his best NFL season. He's got the oh, best yeah. personnel and the best coaching staff to work with. So it's it, it's hard for me to get a sense of the ceiling. Well, yeah, it really I mean, is. I mean, I don't, I don't think – I think it's too early to really identify his ceiling because, like I said, you know, yeah. he's so different from what we've seen what we've seen as a rookie in last year you know we might as well exit out there's question. no way you can even there's no way you can even compare what he's doing now to the person you saw last year it's two completely different people so as far as the ceiling goes you know it's that's hard to tell but just looking at the landscape of the running backs in the NFL this this year like where does Gurley fit in that mode we know he's in that top tier just from the like I said earlier that consistent grinding and this is something I was actually thinking about during the game and truth be told I just couldn't come up with answer because he's he's different it's mm-hmm. it's hard to explain it but he's different and it's not a bad thing it's not the greatest thing he's just he's different from other 
top backs. You know, he doesn't necessarily look like the other top backs when he runs, and, you know, he doesn't play like other top backs, but he's clearly in that conversation, if that makes yeah. sense. I think – and this is one thing that the Rams are starting to shed. I mean, obviously it's the first year since 2003 with a winning record. It's going to take a little bit of time to really wipe this off. But the Rams always had that that sheen, that extra layer of, you know, Shinola on top that prevented people from the national media from creating the narratives for their good players from everybody else. So take like Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald on, what, half the other teams in the NFL would have gotten a Defensive Player of the Year award by now. Steven Jackson would be – I mean, think about the way that people talk about Frank Gore, right, and how he's an automatic candidate for the Hall of Fame or – Look at some of these wide receivers, the way they talk about them, that they don't talk about Isaac Bruce. And part of the reason why, and this is just my opinion, part of the reason why is because for 12 years, the Rams were such a bad team and never threatened any, you know, playoff sensibilities outside of 2010, obviously, Sam Bradford's rookie year, was that the Rams were just an afterthought and nobody had to pay attention to them. You could just follow them along from, you know, SB Nation coverage the day after or whatever. You didn't necessarily have to actually get a sense of who this team was as they played and watch them and say, God, Steven Jackson's incredible. Aaron Donald's incredible. You could just follow it along and be like, oh, yeah, that bad team has a good player. So I think one of the things (laughs) that we've got with Todd Gurley is people got these headlines and he won Rookie of the Year, and they said, oh, this guy must be really good. I haven't seen him play. And then maybe last year they turned him on and was like, yeah, I guess he's fine, but – this team stinks, and he's not spectacular. This year, you've got a really good team with a guy that's getting good, and if the Rams get into position, you know, they're playing the Philadelphia Eagles next week and Seattle the week after and are all but certain to go to the playoffs. If Todd Gurley has a big game in one of these games, it's going to be a career-defining game from everything that he's done to this point. And that's the kind of thing where we, when you talk about like a Le'Veon Bell or Ezekiel Elliott or Adrian Peterson, those guys have had those kind of games. Even Ezekiel Elliott in his second year, he's already had those kind of games where on national TV, he's got a national audience that sees him break out and win a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. That's the kind of game that announces your presence into the national kind of zeitgeist that Todd Gurley just hasn't had because he's been on the Rams and it's taken us this long to get back to this kind of football. Yeah, for sure. So yesterday, um, and we're going to move on from this game, but real quick, yesterday – I noticed something with McVay, um, and it it stood out to me. I know I was talking about it in the chat, Joe, but it stood out to me. And it was – the past couple of weeks there's been a few instances, but I think yesterday was the worst, where I saw some questionable play calling, you know, where it, it, yeah. I think uh, he, he admitted to as much in the post game when he was just kind of talking about what was different in the second half, and he's saying how, you know, certain adjustments needed to be made, and he just was kind of being stubborn with it, you know, kind of being bullheaded. Um, and refusing to switch the approach in the first half, but you saw him running a lot of a lot of plays where you're just like, why? You know, like if that's not working. You saw what it is working. You're kind of getting away from it, like giving the ball to Gurley or just pushing it up the gut, and as opposed to giving it to him on the edge or even giving it to him at all. You know, and then of course you have the poor clock management. And Joe, I know something you've been harping on since week one is time, uh, <laughs> the way that he uses timeouts. And in this game, he decided not to use them at all when they could have uh, set themselves up for an opportunity to put the ball in the end zone to close out the, the first half, you know, he, he was, that was some of the worst clock management I've seen all year, to be perfectly honest. And I don't mean that just from the Rams. I mean, from any team, it was bad. The Rams had a lot of time on the clock and he just let it run until nine seconds. And then they finally called a timeout. So my question is, do you think that we're kind of seeing that rookie 
wall for the head coach where, you know, you've exhausted so many ideas, now you're just kind of going with the flow, or um, if this is just rookie mistakes? I, I mean, I guess like you could chalk it up. Game, oh, what were you going to say, Ryan? Go ahead. Well, I just, I mean, I guess I just feel like, it's, you know, every coach has a bad game. It's not like, you know, he's not like Andy yeah. Reid where you have a, you're an established repeat offender when it comes to a clock management, <laughs> not knowing what the hell to do with your timeouts kind of thing. But And, you know, he's still so early in his career, just as young as he is. And and yeah. by young, I don't mean necessarily age. I just mean experience. I mean, we've, he's only played yeah, 12 that's... games with Jared Goff. And so, he, obviously, there's a lot of complexity to what he's trying to do when they hurry up to the line and all that stuff that's been talked about. And they just haven't gotten the timing right. And you saw they took the delay a game early on in the first quarter when they were backed up. That's the same issue, right, is that they're just – they're not yeah. synced up on, you know, at 25 seconds in the play clock, you need to be here. 15 seconds, you need to be here. Five seconds, you're at the line ready to snap it. They're just not synced up. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine to chalk it up to a rookie head coach. The thing is, you know, the Rams are out to nine and three. And, you know, it hasn't – Sean McVay said in his comments today, these are the kind of things that lose you football games. But it didn't yesterday. And so I think that's yeah. the other side of the coin is that they've just been good enough to maybe take these kind of mistakes and not get shot in the foot by them. You know, the best thing about this Rams team is I've always said, for as long as I can remember, the best teams, they're going to handle business against the teams they should handle business against. You're going to have teams yep. that's good, and those teams can win on any given Sunday. But then there's teams like the Colts, like the uh, Cardinals, the you know, like the 49ers, the Giants, those yep. games where you should just handle business this is the first time in 14 years that the Rams have handled business with those games. So when you say that, you know, when Sean McVay says, you know, those are the things that lose you games, the good teams overcome those things. And I think this is, you know, more than beating a Saints team or, you know, you know maybe if they beat the Eagles, more than those things, I think these little things like that is what really shows. Because, like I said, a good team can beat one of the best teams any day, We, uh, you know, Ryan, you already mentioned it. Under Jeff Fisher, when they're in the bottom of the barrel, they'll go beat the Seahawks. They'll beat the Broncos. You know, so a good team, or a good team, or a decent team could beat a great team any day. But it's the best teams that do those little things right. Um, now, speaking of the little things, this is kind of a little thing that has snowballed into a big thing at this point in, in, in the season. But the Rams' <laughs> run defense—it <laughs> is—it's uh, horrendous. You know, and it's something that I noticed in Week One. It was bothering me watching Frank Gore those old legs churn out 4.6 yards a carry. <laughs> they just had to get away from it. But I, I was nervous about it then, and uh, I'm terrified of it now, especially going into the playoffs. Can the Rams survive in the playoffs with this run defense? I mean, I, you know, you'll get a good good sense of that this week because it's the Eagles, and that's, you know, they they do both things really well on offense. So, you know, I, I mean, yeah, it should definitely be better, and it's probably good that Alec Ogletree isn't hurt worse than he is. But, but right. uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's, like, as far as Achilles' heels go, I'd rather see a team, you know, if it were my team, I'd rather the run defense be a little rough than be, you know, a situation where, you know, I there's a whole side of the field that's easy to pass against. You know what I mean? 
Kayvon. No. <laughs> <laughs> you so foolish. <laughs> Ready to scream it from the mountaintop. Kayvon. I, I, was, um, I, I was waiting for that opportunity. I got to give a shout out every show. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I think is going to be interesting, and we saw it yesterday, is that, and I know Ryan probably hasn't listened, is that, you know, for a while, Meissen's been going in on the run defense, and I've had an issue with the pass rush. And I think maybe the, for whatever it is, whether it's the era that we're in in the NFL, or maybe his skill as a defensive coordinator, or maybe it's the personnel, Wade Phillips has found ways to kind of deal with, you mentioned Robert Quinn not necessarily being the Robert Quinn of old, right? that maybe there's yeah. a way to get around it, whether it's blitzing, whether it's disguising different rushes, whether it's working from the inside when you've got Aaron Donald. I, I think for the, for the deficit of talent that we've got, Wade Phillips has the experience to find ways to still get some pressures on quarterbacks, at least to disrupt their offensive timing. What worries me on the run defense is I don't know that there's a way around it. I don't know that you can finesse your way to run defense. And maybe maybe that's the Achilles heel when we get into this most important stretch. I think the good thing is no team's perfect. Every team's got flaws. And if that's our one flaw, you know, you took a lump against the Vikings, you got it done against the Saints, you can't win every game, right? And, and maybe that's just one of those things where we, we try to figure out how are you going to win games if we struggle and run defense against some of the better teams. And that'll be the challenge maybe moving forward. Yeah. All right, so – talking about moving forward this Eagles game this is the game that I think everyone has been waiting for I know it's been circled on my calendar for a long time I've I've mentioned it way too much and before the week even got here but um the Eagles the Eagles matchup is here you know I think you have people that think it's going to be fireworks just because of the uh the points per game averages that both teams bring in um, and then the point differential that both teams bring in, this is one and two in both categories, you know. So it's, uh, I think the expectation is for there to be a lot of, uh, a lot of scoring and exciting game, but I'm, I'm not crazy about that. The, the one thing that I was harping on pretty hard probably like two weeks ago or three weeks ago when I was once again talking about this game way earlier, getting ahead of myself, but I kept saying that the Eagles really haven't played a lot of good teams. And when you go back and you look at their schedule, there's a lot of teams that's picking in the top ten. You know, and up until yesterday, um, they hadn't played more than two teams that had winning records through half the season, which was the Chiefs and the Panthers. Um, they lost to the, they lost to the Chiefs, and then they barely got past the Panthers. So my argument was, are the Eagles slightly overrated? I think they're a good team, but are they a bit overrated? Then you see last night they play against a good team. You know, um, yes, the Legion of Boom is rocked because you lose Cam Chancellor and, and Richard Sherman, but I think that the the, the media has put such a, a, a light on the Legion of Boom that they forgot about that front seven. Like, that's a loaded front seven, like really, really good. Yeah. But that defense is still good. And Russell Wilson is playing like a top three quarterback in the NFL right now. He's absolutely carrying the team, and I think they said he's accounted for 87% of the offense and 96% of the touchdowns. So it's like that team is really good. And you saw the Eagles play a really good team, and they didn't they didn't look nearly as dominant. Um, I'm not so sold that this game is going to be, you know, that the Eagles are so much better than everyone else or they, they're on such a high clip that it's like this game is going to get away. Like what are your thoughts on what you should see, what you are expecting to see, I should say, in this game between the Rams and the Eagles? 
Well, you know, the thing that jumped out about me, <clears throat> excuse me, with last night's game is why did, you know, Doug Peterson comes out, you know the secondary is banged up in Seattle. The front yep. seven is not banged up. Yep. Why does Doug Peterson come out and insist on throwing the ball as much as they did? I mean, you know, you've got these running backs. The Eagles have a good stable of running backs. Why don't you use sure them? Do. I mean, to me, you know, you if Philadelphia comes out in the first quarter and pounds the ball, it sets a different tone. I mean, yeah, you're probably not going to get four and a half yards of carry right off the bat. But, I mean, I think it's just one of those – you know, this sort of a, I mean, <laughs> I felt like I was watching Andy Reid coach a game last night. I mean, it was bad. I know obviously Peterson, that's where Peterson is on, that's his coaching tree, but it's just a, you know, that, that sense that you're going to pass the ball to win. It just doesn't. And I think that the good thing about the Rams is they don't have a reluctance to use the running game when it works for them. You know, I, I will say, and Joe, you can, you can get in on this, but, I will say, in Peterson's defense, Carson Wentz was really off in that first half. Uh, he missed some wide open throws. I'm talking the one where he missed with Aguilar. I mean, Nelson Aguilar is running wide open. The play design is genius. Like Nelson Aguilar comes from the backside of the play, and he runs free to the play side, and everyone else takes all the defenders to the backside, and he's wide open. And Carson Wentz, he went over his head by ten yards. You know, so uh, there was I could understand why he wanted to, you know test out the secondary, and he had some opportunities. Carson Wentz wasn't there, but I agree with you. He definitely could have banged it in there more to set up the pass better with the weakened uh, secondary. But, Joe, what, what, what are you thinking? I think the biggest thing right now, and I get, I get it, you know, I'm a macro guy. That's how I always approach stuff. It seems very, very, very weird to me that we're looking at an NFC playoff picture where the four top teams are the Vikings, Eagles, Rams, and Saints. And I get it that's just – you flip the switch and say, oh, I guess we got to talk about Carson Wentz this way now. That it, it just gotten – the NFL has flipped a generation really, 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 really quickly. And I get it. Manning retiring helped accelerate that. Tom Brady's still playing phenomenal, but as soon as he goes, he's done. Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees are having some swan song moments. But it's just one of these things where when you see Jacksonville and you see the Rams and you see the Vikings with everybody around Case Keenum playing the way they are, and obviously Carson Wentz and the game that we're going to get next Sunday. It just feels like one of these these next NFL era kind of games. And the way that we talk about, you know, Carson Wentz and Nelson Aguilar and Doug Peterson, like these were guys that just weren't on the map until however long ago. It's just so new. that I think that's the biggest thing to me is that it just seems so strange that we're not talking about up-and-coming teams the way that we used to three, four, five years ago. Now these teams are just here. And we accept the idea that Adam Thielen – is a great wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Like, how is it? What the hell? I know. Like, how is that even a thing that we're talking about? But it's true. It's just true. Yeah, that's your it's guy it's right one there. of those things where I know we we crossed a bridge, and I don't I don't know when we crossed it, but there's a new NFL that we're in now, and it's just still kind of weird. And maybe maybe next Sunday is the first part that we really that I, maybe not we that I have to get comfortable with it. And maybe it's going to be the playoffs, but it's one of those things where when we talk about the NFL now, it's a completely different landscape. And that's, uh, that's maybe the biggest takeaway from last night when you talk about the Eagles or when you talk about the Rams and what we've done the last three weeks. I think that's maybe more than anything. And obviously when you lock up your first winning season since 2003, it's going to be hard not to take stock of the bigger picture. But I think that's the one thing that I'm still struggling to catch up with. 
is that this isn't week one or week two. This isn't a one-game thing. The Rams are here. The Eagles are here. This is a real thing that's going to happen in the postseason, and that's where the NFL's headed. You know, it's interesting. You know, for all the complaining about the NFL this season, and I think obviously there's a lot more, (laughs) a lot of issues around that, but, like, this is sort of everything you've ever wanted. I mean, it's like you look at, like, the Jaguars are in the playoffs, and they're a good team. I yeah. mean, you know, the Chargers are making a run. The Steelers, I mean, yeah. it's the Titans have a playoff spot. The Rams, the Eagles, the Saints. I mean, you know, this is the Vikings are the top seed in the NFC. The Eagles are the second seed in the NFC. I mean, this is not – this isn't the same old, same old. I mean, this is a new – you yeah. know, this is it's a you're like you say, three K, this is the start of a new era. I mean, and I think there's probably the Broncos, getting used to that. I Broncos, mean you have a lot of fans. The Broncos are, like, are three and nine. They look horrible. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's that's the craziest thing about it though, because I don't know when the last time this has happened, um, but when you look at the landscape, like the parody this year is unbelievable because you have four division leaders that none of them made the playoffs last year. And all of the yeah. division leaders from the previous year are like in a rut, <laughs> which I I don't think that I don't. I, in, in my thirty years, I've never seen the NFL mm. have such a flip like that, where every where it's literally the complete opposite. Not one division leader is the same, and it's yeah. literally a complete flip from what it was. Those division leaders are struggling on losing streaks and so on and so forth for a bunch of injuries. It's like everything just collapsed for everyone that won last year. And then everyone that was at the bottom of the barrel the previous year is now at the top. So that's, that's different. <laughs> that's, that's not something that uh, you see <laughs> yep. every day, but it creates that excitement, you know, because now you have those other fan bases with the bragging rights, which creates more trash talk. It's like, Oh, you know, you have the, you have the, the Saints who are haven't been at the top for a long time, they've been trying to get back there. But meanwhile, the Panthers and the Falcons have just been running that division, and now that's not the case. You know, the Saints are, like, kicking ass and taking names, <laughs> you know. So I, I think it makes for an interesting dynamic to see that shift in powers. Um, you, know, you know what that means, of, though? You know what that means? What? 2018 – Cleveland Browns. I don't know how. I don't know who. I don't know what. <laughs> oh, come on but... now. Something's never changed. Listen now. Listen now. Something's don't, never changed. Don't you speak that evil, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> don't you do it. <laughs> because we all know when the Browns whoop everyone's ass and they're dominating in the playoffs that the world is going to end. We all know this. Yeah. So don't, don't speak that evil. <laughs> Football apocalypse. <laughs> there you go. We we know that it, we're gonna have five moons just appear in the sky that day. So five so, moons. Let's, let's avoid that. <laughs> but but so real quick with this Eagles Rams game, you know this is one of those games where I don't think that I don't think it's necessarily gonna be a, a, a shootout. You know, if if mm-hmm. one team really gets hot, I think the other team will not. Um, I think I personally think the Rams are more likely to uh, – and this isn't homerism at all. This is just from tape study. I, I think the Rams are more likely to put up 35 than the Eagles, and that's because I think the Rams have better balance. I think they're more consistent in the pass game than uh, than what the Eagles are. Carson Wentz, he gets, he's getting a lot, and everyone knows I love Wentz. There's no – let me make that clear. Everyone knows that from when he was coming out, like I'm a huge Wentz fan, but – I'm also a realist, and the simple fact of the matter is, over the last six, seven weeks, he hasn't played anywhere close to as good as Jared Goff has played. Um, 
in all aspects of quarterbacking uh, other than his mobility. You know, his ability mm-hmm. to make nothing out of something is, is special. You know, it's second to Russell Wilson, and that's it. Um, maybe Case Keenum is in there with him, but that's it. But um, looking, just kind of looking at the overall dynamic of each offense, I think the Rams are more likely to put up more points. But I'm not sure that they will because I think that the teams really match up kind of well. Uh, I don't think it'll be a shootout. I think we're probably looking at something closer to the, what we saw with the Saints and the, the Rams last week, where it's kind of that that average score for the NFL. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked to see a low-scoring game either. So my question to you all is, what player do you think can really tilt this game in favor of their team? Like, if you could just take a player from either team, it doesn't really matter who, but what player do you think can really change things to really get that team over the hump if it's a close game? I got a good one, I, but it's know, a very, th- it's a very, it's a very three K one. So I definitely wanted to let Van be the smart guy, and then I'll be the jackass at the tail end. Well, you know, the the Eagles brought in J and J because he can break off those big plays. I mean, that's his whole, yep. <clears throat> that's his mo. I mean, that's what the guy does. And I, you know, I wonder with this Rams with the defense a little bit with the run, if if they can kind of keep if they can keep any of those kind of plays from really snapping off and, and, and going to the house or picking up 40 or 50 yards to make a difference like that. I think that's probably a good sign for the Rams. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, that's a guy I have my eye on for this game. I mean, I think that's a big tell for me, you know, where, you know, how squared away the Rams defense is going to be. I'm torn between All two right, guys, so and they're, they're the same two guys that – that It's jackass. Well, it's any time. Anytime I'm talking to jackass, it, it's the same two guys that maybe had the major impact this last weekend that, that have that overwhelming impact on games that guys at their positions don't have from other teams, and it's Greg Zerline and Johnny Hecker. As, as much yeah. as special teams can depend on a splash play like Michael Brockers blocking a kick or um, – What's his name? Tariq Cohen, right, had that punt return. And even for Farrell Cooper, we've seen some great returns this year. The play out of our punter and kicker is just so damn good and so much better than any punter-kicker combo. I mean, you got Greg Zerline on, on, possibly going to break LaDainian Tomlinson's scoring record. Johnny Hecker <laughs> is putting in yeah, just a phenomenal career for a punter through five years. It's one of those things where – those guys win games, not because they go out and do it in the way that a running back takes over a game, a quarterback, but because the subtlety of what they do prevents the other team from taking advantage of certain situations. You saw this last weekend. The Rams were backed up on their old goal line. Johnny Kecker, uh, Johnny Hecker, I call him kicker. Johnny Hecker booms the kick and flips the field. Then when we get the ball back with a good return, we're able to, flip, to change the game. And it, Hecker doesn't get that kind of credit but what he does is set other people up to get that credit. So I'll take Greg Zerline for the guy that maybe is the X factor, a guy that takes over a game, but maybe doesn't do it with the headlines, but we'll do it because he gets set up by other people and sets the Rams up for better situations. Yeah. That punch you're talking about, he boomed at 70 yards. And what made that punt hilarious to me, like I literally laughed watching it. And then when I reviewed the tape last night, I laughed again because maybe five minutes before that punt, you know, we're in the chat, and Bate goes, man, what, what's up with Hecker? <laughs> he, he hasn't Hecker. been kicking yeah. himself. <laughs> Literally, like, five minutes. It's almost like he sensed it was like, Brendan Bate is speaking of me. <laughs> and he just went out there and rocked it. <laughs> he just absolutely rocked it. I was just like, well, 
There's the putts you've been waiting for. <laughs> he you know, completely changed the field position, and then the Rams get a three and out, and then when they get the ball back, they're at half field, yep. just like that. Yeah. You know, and, but you know, I'm thinking that in the next you know three or four weeks, we should just take a break from the show because I'm starting to feel like I talk to you too much or something, Joe, because we're starting to <laughs> have the same type of answers because without even knowing that the well, H- Hecker and Hecker and Zerline was my pick that could really switch this game because um. I'll, I'll use fantasy for an example, okay, fantasy football. Um, if you have Greg Zerline, you know, most years in fantasy, the best kickers in fantasy from a year-to-year base is going to get you 9 to 10 points a game, you know, that you can count on. Greg Zerline is getting people like 16, 17. <laughs> um, he's kicking so well, um, and he's he's averaging like – like four kicks a game or something, or four field goals a game that he's yeah. hitting. Um, and he's on the, the record, the NFL record for most field goals in a season is 44, and I think right now he's at 37. <laughs> so he's, he's going to break that record. <laughs> you know, he's going to break that record. And you already mentioned that he's on pace of breaking LaDainian Tomlinson's record. Uh, what Greg Zerline is doing is really unbelievable, but more so the reason that I said Hecker and Zerline is because I can't think of a time in NFL history where you had the unquestioned unanimous best punter in the league and has been the best punter for years. Um, yeah. And then you have the best kicker where they, where they have such an impact on the game. You know, one thing that I don't think people have given Griggs or enough credit for is that, yeah, the Rams are averaging, you know, over 30 points a game, but, they also have a kicker who's been getting of those, you know, if the Rams are averaging 30 points a game, Greg Zerline has been getting 15 of those points a game, you know, about 12 right. to 15 by himself. You know, um, it hasn't been the offense has just been tearing it up, you know, because the offense has had struggles of punching it in from the red zone. Uh, Greg Zerline has just been money. And without his consistency, the Rams, they're probably averaging 25, 26 points a game, which is a huge difference. You know, so, I, I definitely think that when you when you're talking about two players or any player that can really tilt it, you have to look at you have to look at Hector, you have to look at Zerline. Those two guys have been phenomenal. Like if 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 you can give special teams players MVP, they pro- one of them would probably get it. But you we know that'll never happen. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, I I do want to let Ryan go. We've taken up enough of his time. One thing I did want to mention, and this is kind of a segue. Back to the to the larger scales. When we talk about Johnny Hecker and Greg Zerline, to borrow a favorite phrase from from an era, a bygone era of Trisha Times and a bygone era of America, it's kind of the opposite of what you used to talk about all the time, Dan, was the bigotry of low expectations, right? And that <laughs> that now now it's the opposite, right? When you talk about Hecker and Greg Zerline, the the most disappointing play of the year for me for the Rams was when they rolled Zerline out to try that, what was it, 64-yard field goal two weeks ago? Yeah. Right yeah. at the end of half. And he, and he, and he didn't make it. Because I, I was like, this is it. This is Greg Zerline just putting his foot in the ass of the NFL and saying, look at us. <laughs> look at kickers and punters. And he missed it. And it was one of those things where I really felt he was going to do it. The, the, the Rams <laughs> kind of now are suffering from the bigotry of high expectations <laughs> and that may be the weirdest thing of all. And that's why we wanted to have you on, man. It was a perfect time to have you back. I appreciate it. Hey, I can't thank you enough. It's and this is on behalf back. of everybody for years and years of Tur Show Times mired in, what's the right word? The, 
the paper mache of football that we had oh, to go pur- through. Pur- it was complete purgatory. That's what it was. It's purgatory. It was, it was, There's a lot of analogies was, we could use. <laughs> you remember, like, switching it. it was November 1st that we started talking about the draft. <laughs> yep, yep. I can't get it out of my system. I, I posted about it today because it's, it's December 4th. You're supposed to update the draft order. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's just a different yet. world, man. A different world. It is. It is. And we'll adjust. Thanks for coming on, Van. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be back. D- Absolutely, definitely appreciated this one. This this is gonna be a good one to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Thank All you. right. Thanks for coming on, man. Take care. Ryan Van Biver, former managing editor of Touch of Times, current NFL editor for SB Nation. Follow him at Adjust RVB. The original. What did you call the prodigal son? The prodigal son. The prodigal son. That's right. Uh, <laughs> he he rose from the ashes like the phoenix. And he came back to I just, holler at his TST folk. <laughs> I, I just you love know, the idea of, like, you know, Ryan creating Tertial Times, moving on to managing editor. Tertial Times is like this growing – you know, what's the right? I don't want to say the wrong thing because we're not like Stranger Things. We're not that that evil <laughs> monster spreading its arms throughout the internet. But it's a we're a growing behemoth, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And 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 we got nobody more to thank for that than RBB. This is true. This is true, and I agree with that. I'm very glad to be part of. It. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it. Um, the other day when, you know, it was confirmed that Ryan was coming on, I was just like, man, I, start, I started having like a flashback to how, like when it all, like how I got onto the staff and everything and how it all started. When did you start? When, when, like, when did you come on staff? I came on staff in 2013. And um, I know, right? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I take that back. I didn't come on staff in 2013. I started uh, writing in the fan section in 2000. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was writing – Man, I was writing shit like every day. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing uh, where the first time I ever uh, really just kind of talked with Ryan was I wrote a piece on Br- Sam Bradford. You know, the complaint was about him checking down, and I was talking about the issues of protection, you know, and I, the, the smart move to make with that time was the check down. And uh, they, that was the first thing that, that was the first time I had wrote something that was taken from the fan section and put it on and put onto the uh, front page, and that was when the, that was when I first started talking to Ryan, and uh, from there, right. talking with Doug, and that's kind of, you know, probably like two months later, I, you know, was when I joined the staff. But I was thinking about that. I was just like, geez, has he really been gone that long? <laughs> and then I started yeah. thinking, I was like, well, wait, wait a second. Have I really been writing on the staff that long? <laughs> yeah. It was like that flashback. So, But like you said, it all starts, like, right there when, when you have guys like Ryan and Doug, and, you know, we, we do this because what they did. You know, they got the ball rolling, so – Definitely appreciate him. Shout out to those guys. Harvey being the so, so you mentioned something real quick before we get to listener questions. You mentioned something about uh, – I don't want to talk about rippets anymore, man. Move we're on. We're not talking about rippets. I'm not, we're not talking <laughs> about liquid meth, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but um, you mentioned something. You, you said that the expectations are for uh, – mm. are, are now – just good, you know. There, there's no more. Yeah. You've been so bad. You, you, you just you'll take anything pretty much. Now it's like, no, this isn't good enough. And the, real quick before we get to these questions, we have to discuss Andrew Whitworth. We cannot let this show close without discussing it. 
Andrew Whitworth has been good. There's no de- 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 denying very that. Good. There's no way around it. Very he's, good. he's been very, very good, you know. Um, yeah. And my my thing is, and, you know, people say it's father time, but I don't think it is uh, because it's not like he's gone you know, the past three years where he's gotten all his Pro Bowl recognition and all pro and things like that. Sure. It's not like he's gone without giving up a single sack or anything like that. But it is something that I'm noticing is that when he plays – those above average pass rushers with long arms and decent speed. That's where he seems to struggle with. And he yeah. has not been the, the Rams best offensive lineman. I think if anything, you should, if you're going to give him credit, not anything, the last it's, couple not weeks. His play, it's not his play, but yeah. his leadership. If you're going to give him credit for anything, uh, I think his leadership has helped, but, but the best offensive lineman hands down has been Roger Saffold weekend and week out. It's not even remotely close. Like, He's on the field, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kicking yeah. ass out there, you know, so it's not even close. Um, and then after that, I would say that it's been John Sullivan followed by uh, Whitworth, and then you get to the, the two young guys. But Whitworth, has uh, he struggled, and I think that it, it, it's something that we need to talk about because we have to we have to think about the future. I, I, honestly, I think after next year, Whitworth is done, sure. and that's – that's if he's that's if he's not done after this. And I don't when I say done, I don't mean he's going to retire. I mean he's not going to be what you're paying for. Um, so I think right. he might have one more year in him where he could play to a good enough level where you're comfortable having him protecting his blind side. But speaking of the draft, there, you know, towards the end with Ryan, how high how high do you think we have to look at uh, taking possibly getting a tackle in this upcoming draft or free agency? Maybe? I mean, it's got to be in the mix. It's got to yeah. be in the mix. And, they, you know, I, I said that before the season started. Now, what what I wasn't necessarily anticipating was that first, what, eight games that Andrew Whitworth put in where he was spectacular. And here's the thing. It's really only the last three games where Whitworth has had some stretches of play that didn't match up to what he was putting in for the first stretch of the season. If it had been the opposite, if he had played the first three games where he had had some difficulties with some of those yeah. guys, and then for the last eight games or nine games had been spectacular, it wouldn't invite these kind of questions. It's just the, the way that time works because he put right. in, you know, eight or nine really good games. And the last three weeks has had some plays where he hasn't been great. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. It's one of those things where you start to ask, okay, he's, if he's gone from eight or nine great games to a couple good games, does he go from good back to great or does he stick it good or does he go from good to whatever's next? And if, if he gets to whatever's next, especially when we start getting into these important games, there's no avoiding that. Right. And, and I get it. People can say, you know, well, Chandler Jones is a great pass rusher. He is. That's absolutely true. And you can look at the saints and the Vikings and say, they've got some really, really good talent. That's absolutely true. But if you're the, if you're trying to be one of the best left tackles, in the NFL, and you're protecting your quarterback from that position, you got to be able to handle those guys. That's the job. And nobody says about, like, Tyron Smith or, I don't know, whoever else you want to throw in that position as being at the top uh, around the league, well, they're going up against good talent. That's what you do. When you get to the playoffs, guess what you got to do? you got to go up against really talented guys. And that's not an excuse that you can use. So it's just one of those things where, because it's happened the last couple weeks where we've had a couple moments to look at Andrew Whitworth and, and, and isolate him where it's nobody else, where it's just Andrew Whitworth on a play and say, yeah, he just didn't get it done. 
it, it's one of those things that starts cropping up the question. As to how you approach it in the draft, I mean, I, the one thing that I mentioned in the draft order today that I mainly wanted to update just because we're at the three-quarter pool. We're at 75% of the regular season's done, so we know where most, most of the NFL is looking at for the draft order. Uh, is the big issue is similar to what we had two years ago when we traded up for Jared Goff. Because of the trade with Sammy Watkins, we don't have a second-round pick. So we've got this big gap where we're only going to have one pick in the first, you know, what do you want to say, 80 picks of the draft. And, and so yeah. there's just not a lot of opportunity to upgrade many positions. And because, and we've mentioned this, I know, a couple times, so long-time listeners will want to fast-forward through this part, is the idea that the Rams have to get to March because we've got so many expiring contracts. Well, Marcus Joyner, uh, Connor Barwin, uh, Nikel Roby Coleman, Trumaine Johnson, there's a, a ton of Sammy Watkins. There's a ton of guys where those decisions on their contracts are just as important as the talent level that we're at right now. And so should offensive line and specifically left tackle be in the mix? It has to be. The problem is the Rams have some immediate needs that they're going to hit in March that maybe don't seem like it right now. And so it, it's a little preemptive to try to lay out roster needs you know, week 13 compared to when we get to, what is it, March 14th, I think is the beginning of the next league year. That's going to be the yeah. chance where we really get to see, okay, if we lose Trumaine Johnson and Nikel Roby Coleman and Kayvon Webster maybe is coming out of injury or, you know, the way he's played, I don't know. It's one of those things where you look at and say, okay, unquestionably cornerback's the top need. I don't know. It's one of those things where we just got to get there before we really know. But in terms of just the natural talent level, the value of the position, and where you need to be for this team moving forward, I'd have no problem starting to think about drafting a tackle of the future, no doubt. So, real quick, let's get to these uh, listener questions. And and yeah. uh, we have one from, and I had to make sure we got this on here, because he's, he's a Rams fan from Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> okay? Stockholm. Oh, Love it. Yeah, so when, you, when we have the listeners calling in, and it's like, man, how are you guys coming from all over the place? Let's beat this one. Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> Take that. So Dennis Dooley, he had a he had a question broken up into three parts, and it's the first one is will uh, will uh, Ebukam, Samson Ebukam, keep his job when Barwin comes back? And he's like, he sure thinks so. Uh, I wouldn't be completely surprised if he did, um, but I don't. He will just because of you know the leadership that Barwin brings, and plus he has that. Uh, connection with uh, Wade Phillips from their history, but I wouldn't be completely surprised. What I am surprised, I wouldn't be completely surprised if he did keep it. What I am surprised with is the fact that we're even having the conversation of him keeping it <laughs> because uh, when he was drafted, I, myself for sure, but, but a lot of people were just like, who the hell did they just pick? <laughs> you know, and sure. he's actually played pretty well. You know, he's played really well, pretty well. So the fact that we're having this uh, conversation is, Probably what's really the most uh, surprising there. Um, his next part of his question, Joe, did you have anything on that one? No, it's just one of those things when you come out of Eastern Washington, you know, you're never going to have great name recognition. Although I guess Cooper Cup had as much name recognition as you could possibly get out of EWU. Yeah. The thing that I think is interesting is, and, and to put it in perspective of what you said, this isn't a John Johnson, Maurice Alexander issue where Connor Barwin is no. being shed and they're just moving on. Connor Barwin's yeah. going to come back. What, what's different is that Samson Abukam is going to have a chance to maybe push Connor Barwin out of the way. That's what you get with injuries. You get a chance yeah. to step up 
and, and play your way into the lineup. And if he does that, so be it. But if not, yeah, I mean, that's the reason they brought Connor Barwin over on a one-year deal is to be a plug-and-play guy. And if Samson Abukum isn't, you know, necessarily playing up to the level that the coaching staff wants, then you go back to Barwin. And it's it doesn't have to be, you know, career poison for Abukum. He's a rookie, right? Yeah. Deep, a day three rookie out of, out of a non-FBS team. That's okay. It's just one of those things where, you know, it, it is what it is. He's getting a he's chance, and we'll see what he does. Quarterback. He's not you know, the first round yeah. quarterback. He's not the first round He wasn't a first round draft pick. doesn't do as much damage yeah. as he would that, for that guy. Uh, but uh, his, his second part, his second question uh, here is, what are your thoughts on the Rams' rookie class? I mean, all of them but Price and Rogers played almost mistake, uh, mistake, uh, rookie mistake-free football. No flags, no bullshit. They all look like good football players. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get away. The the thing that, and maybe this is just a credit to this coaching staff, is they're isolating these guys with what they can do, whether it's Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, uh, Samson Abukum, Juan Price, you know, and obviously he's having to take a step back. They moved on from him this week, where where they're not forcing guys into certain situations, and we've seen that with rookies in the past, Uh and again, I don't, I don't want to relitigate this whole idea of Jeff Fisher being the worst coach ever, but when you look at some of the rookies and guys that the Rams really needed to depend on, whether it was second round rookies like Brian Quick and Isaiah P or, uh, you know, other guys that were brought, Greg Robinson brought in to be the next kind of guy that didn't necessarily prepare for the position the way that they needed to, and then got handled the same way they did with Jared Goff or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trey Mason, other rookies that had the competence. It's one of those things where it seemed like it was a blanket preparation of just whatever. We're just, this is how we deal with rookies, regardless of who they are, regardless of the situation. The Reigns this year didn't necessarily do that. Cooper Cup was ready to go from week one. Gerald Everett was ready to go from week one. Other guys weren't. And, and it, it, it's just, it, it seems hard to criticize. The only thing you can criticize them is maybe limited production, but without a first round pick. And given that the Rams are nine and three, that seems like a pretty unnecessary criticism, especially because if we get to next year and some of these guys are balling out, that's going to fall on deaf ears. So yeah, I totally think it's a it's a good football players, a great class, and it's one of those things where the Rams will turn things around. And when you do that, it, it's not necessarily about looking at where we are in week twelve; it's where we are, you know, into the postseason and into year two and year three for these guys. No, I, I I think you hit the nail on the head. It was it's just it's different. You know, you have guys that came in ready, and then even for the guys that wasn't getting clock early on and doing much, getting much more as time went on, like John Johnson and like Samson Ebukam, like those guys came in and they they really made a difference. And Tenzin Tenzel Smart, I've said it before, when he was put inserted yeah. in and Brockers was moved to the side, it completely changed the defense. You know, so. Uh, I think the Rams really did a really good job with their rookie class. They they really kind of knocked it out of the park with a lot of um, um, under the radar picks, if that's fair to say. Uh, because that while they did get some big names in those picks, Gerald Everett was talked about a lot pre-Jaff, and Cooper Cup was like Jesus. <laughs> and then you you know sure. you have uh, 
Tenzel Smart, he, he he was a six-round pick, but he was a guy that everyone knew and everyone talked about, and he even had some Aaron Donald comparisons, you know. So it wasn't like these guys were unknown, but they were under the radar because of probably draft position when they were able to get some of these guys. So overall, I do think that it is just, it's uh, thus far through 12 games, it has been a successful draft. Um, yeah. I'm really disappointed uh, that Price was waived, though, for – I understand that they have to move some pieces around, and you know it's the expendable piece because of he's buried on the depth chart. But whatever, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, yeah. I'm still looking forward to Price getting on the field. He can always come back. The, the one, the one thing, I, the, the, just one angle that I throw in there is that the level of difficulty for this draft wasn't that high. This wasn't a draft no. that the Rams had to nail. They could just sit back, let the draft, come, and they did let the draft come to you, trade down add a bunch of guys that fit the, you know, roles of what you're trying to fill because this wasn't a year where you really had to staff up. They did that in free agency. What might be different is this year, whether we lose Trumaine Johnson or Sammy Watkins or some of these other really, really core – the God, LaMarcus Joyner, any of these core components, when you got a first-round pick, that's when the degree of difficulty ramps up to a severe degree, and the Rams are going to need to nail next year's draft much more than this one. Because you know what's going to happen, Mike, is whether it's 2018 or 2019, those are the drafts where you, when you're going to get, need to get stars, and Gerald Everett and Cooper Cup and some of these guys will just be producing in the background, but you're going to need to get a Sammy Watkins or uh, yeah, a some somebody on that level to really star for this team moving forward because of who they're going to have to replace. Absolutely. So, real quick, before we get to college football and get out of here, one thing, it's not a question, but Luke Cromery uh, says, can we all just appreciate how excited Ted Raff, the strength and conditioning coach, gets after every Rams first <laughs> he nice. Yes, we can. <laughs> he is, he's like the flavor flavor for the Rams. He's the hype man. So, <laughs> absolutely, we can appreciate that. Thank you, Ted Raff, for bringing such energy to the Rams. College football, Joe, what do you have? Well, what's great about Ted Raz is it's his first year, and so I think he's he's having his rookie moment where he's having his, his virgin success on the sideline. I'm glad to see it, man. So good for him, good for the coach staff. College football, good Lord, man. I mean, it was championship week. Um, you know, the, the one thing we said, and look, this is one that we don't – we're on the very, very, very far periphery of college football media was that there was going to be no way to get this college football playoff right, and they proved that. And I told you a couple weeks ago, Alabama was going to be in this playoff. And they found a way to make that happen. And it just is what it is, man. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a good showcase. I love some of the bowl games that we got moving forward. We did not get the Tertia Radio Bowl, sadly. North Texas did not get Missouri. They were scared. Uh, North Texas is headed. Uh, no, I, was, they, they I was so ready for it. I, was, well, I think we might have had to win. We obviously lost to Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin. Which, by the way, get him the hell out of Conference USA. Get out of Conference USA, Lane Kiffin. I get it. You've got talent. Get the fuck out of here. We don't want you in here anymore. This is not, this is not a place for you. Um, but North Texas going back to the New Orleans Bowl. I, I like what we got at the top, man. It's going to be a great season. I was looking at some of the draft stuff today after I posted the draft order, and we had some updated rankings, uh, I think it was last week, from Mel Kuyper just going through his top ten at the position. Some of these classes, especially wide receiver, I'm not really big on that class. So as much as we get to go through bowl games and scout and all these things, what it starts to do is shape the matching of the classes to value, where if you're a team that needs a number one overall wide receiver, this is a bad year to need that. 
I would say that with this year, um, the interesting thing about it, not and now don't get me wrong, it's not that I think that they should have got in. I would say that it's just that it hasn't happened in the three years that the playoff system has been real. Alabama has no significant impactful win on their schedule. Um, none. You know, they are in strictly off name. And you knew they were going to get in when they only dropped to five because that's how right. they do it. And the call you knew they were play. setting I mean, it you up. Get, yeah. you, they sure. were setting it up so that they could guarantee that they get in because someone in the top four had to lose, you know. So right. when you when you kind of look at the, when you kind of look at just how it all shook out, um, they it was set up for Alabama to get in, but they didn't really have that significant win. Now, when I say it, it's not because I wanted them to get in or anything like that, I'm talking about Ohio State. But Ohio State, you know, I understand the anger from the Ohio State fans because you look at they had they beat two top ten ranked teams, you know, and they beat three they beat three teams in total that was ranked in the top fifteen. Alabama did not. They beat no one ranked in the top ten. They, you know, um, they, they, the, the the Ohio State they they had they were top I think ten in offense and defense. You know, so when you just kind of look at the grand scheme of things, I understand why why they were uh, why the fans were upset. But at the end of the day, I do not think Ohio State beats Alabama. If you put those two yeah. hands up, I don't think they beat Alabama. Um, Alabama, they they haven't had any significant wins. Alabama has not looked like the dominant Alabama that got them the name recognition to just put them in the playoffs sure. like they did. That they don't look like that Alabama. Um, and personally, I don't think Alabama can beat Clemson or forget that. I think Clemson might be the best team in the country. I don't think Alabama can beat Oklahoma. Sure. You know, uh, I don't think they. I don't think there's a chance in hell Alabama could stop Baker Mayfield. Um, that's just the simple truth of the matter. Uh, Alabama is uh, basically riding the the coattails of Alabama of the past, and so th- this I think this this playoffs is really kind of gonna take the college football into the off season and have them really considering changing the you know the amount of teams that get in. I personally don't Maybe. think they should because the reason that this past weekend was so exciting is because there's only four teams, and I like that. Personally, I, I like the four teams because it creates such excitement. Every game counts. Um, but I do think that the backlash that they're receiving right now, I think is ultimately going to cause them to reconsider some things. And we could possibly see mm-hmm. a suspension on the uh, playoff team. I think that the biggest thing that they got out of 2016 was that the championship whitewashed how badly the two other teams that made the third and fourth seed last year play, right? So we had a phenomenal championship. And so the, the cap that you get on the season, and especially because we had that Rose Bowl from USC Penn State where, uh, you know, you had two quarterbacks, Trace McSorley and Sam Darnold, just playing balls out, great game. Then you cap it off with a national championship between Clemson, Alabama, and everybody feels kind of good about going into 2017. But what it wiped away was the fact that Oklahoma and Michigan State got washed. They got washed. And it made a question at the time, why did we put these teams in there? The, the, we were already questioning the selection at the time, but we could lean on, all oh, these factors and this over here, blah, 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 blah. But when you get those results – it makes you question it even worse because this year the selection questioning is so much more vociferous. If Alabama doesn't play well, if they get wiped by Clemson, everybody's coming at that, the whole process. Everybody's going to come to it and say, 
look, there's no yeah, we get it that Alabama was beating the play the teams that they were dealing with pretty significantly early on and they dealt with injuries and that people were going off of like you said, name recognition, program strength and just their reputation more so than anything to get them in the playoffs. But if we get a bad game from them against Clemson, everybody's coming. They're gonna say, No, this didn't make any damn sense. Look at the game. Look at what happened. You got Auburn playing UCF, right? In which bowl is that? Let me, I had it up earlier. In the Peach Bowl. You had Auburn playing UCF in the Peach Bowl. Auburn was in the SEC Championship. Alabama wasn't. Georgia wins the SEC Championship. If they get washed out by Oklahoma, it's going to be one of those things where people look at this and say, okay, we got to go back to the drawing board because it's just not making any difference. Absolutely. So we'll well, see, I mean, it, so, yeah, look, put, it, put the opposite up there, though. If Alabama wipes Clemson, or even if they just win, then, then it's gonna it's gonna silence a lot of those doubters. So I mean, that's the good thing about it is you get to play for it. This isn't the BCS. You get these games. It's just one of those things where I worry that because everybody's sniping at Alabama in place of Ohio State and maybe even in place of a couple other teams, look at USC. Um, you know, the game's gonna decide that, and that's what we got to get to. So that's the interesting thing. The good thing is there's so many damn bowl games, man, and there's so much talent to get to look at. You got Penn State, Washington, the Fiesta Bowl, Miami, Wisconsin, and the Orange. Uh, Auburn, I mentioned, against UCF. UCF doesn't have a ton of NFL talent, but Auburn's back in the Peach Bowl. Notre Dame, LSU, and the Citrus Bowl. There's so much NFL talent in that one. And then, obviously, you get to the playoffs. It's stacked, man. There's going to be a ton of talent for brand fans to be able to look at and think about when we get into that part of December where we know where we're headed in the playoffs, but maybe not where we're headed contractually for next month. Which the next month is going to be very good. <laughs> Oh, what did I say? I mentioned something to Professor, and I said I, I said something like, "The next two weeks, my body's not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know that I'm ready for this, man." Better get ready. Better get you a ribbit. <laughs> get you some extra. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> better pound that ribbit. Pound that ribbit and get, get ready. That's right. Get you an extra booth and get ready because it's coming. <laughs> ribbit won't get me ready to watch the game. Ribbit will make me think, hey, you know what? I could probably play left guard. You know what? Put me in, coach. I can play guard. Six I foot one, 200 pounds. Block. <laughs> Worst spot and block uh, Chandler Jones. <laughs> That's right. I can, I can handle Chandler Jones. Give me another one of those raspberry rippets. Give me one of those blue raspberries. I can get in there. This reminds me of uh, Family Guy when Peter first tried Red Bull. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's going to be you. (laughs) Multiply that times three, and there you go. The good thing is going into this week, man, we got some games, bro. If everybody's talking about the NFC South, that's kind of the portal to the side, the, the playoff selection, you start with New Orleans at Atlanta on Thursday, right? That's already on the docket. Then by the time you get to Sunday, you got Minnesota at Carolina in the early games. Late games, you got Philadelphia at us, Washington at the Chargers, and Seattle at Jacksonville. Sunday's going to be crazy. Yes. That's why I'm so looking forward to this weekend. This has been a good weekend on the schedule for a lot of teams. So I think that ultimately we're going to get some good football this weekend. Um, It's going to lead us into – the following weekend with even better football with some of these college games and bowl games getting going. And ah, it's that time of year, Joe. The sad part is that, you know, for all the positives, there's the negative, which is means football season is coming to an end quickly. So we have to soak it up, enjoy it as much as we possibly can. Uh, we only have a few more regular season shows before we get into the off season, talking about free agency and stuff. So let's soak it up. 
Let's enjoy it. Get some ripping in our system. Hit us some golden yak, gold yaks and mild and everything <laughs> old mild and everything else <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> but for, uh, real quick, got to definitely again give one more shout out to uh, Ryan RBB coming on the show. Definitely appreciate it. Um, make sure we're tuning into the game this week. What? What? Let's see. Where are we? At? We're in LA. So drew a blank there. We're in LA. So. Three uh three fifteen L A or uh, Pacific uh, time, what is that on the East Coast, Joe? I was coming in at four. It's gonna be a one o'clock on yeah one o'clock on their time, four o'clock our yeah, time. Yeah, it's gonna be dope, go. man. My times are all out of whack. Long work days. I'm it's all good. But <laughs> y'all middle of the country people in. and y'all, y'all time zones. I know we're torn. You know we're like the middle child. But, <laughs> but make sure you guys are tuning in. Follow the show at Turf Show Times. Make sure you follow myself at Mighty or Myson. And then, of course, follow Joe at 3K with the random underscore, 3K underscore. All follow all of us on Twitter. That's all we got for this week, and we out.
my puppet eyed man. If Eric can't get it, I will and I can. I'm strong as it comes, but I've got a brain. And stopping me is like stopping a train. I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coach in LB. This motorcycle, this has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your Okay, it's your name's intimidated. I pass it my way, I'll see you later. The quicker on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The ice man coming, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, interception's my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat as you will see. The guys call me Dickens, that addicted son. I lead the reins, I'm the ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness and the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, wanna bring anyone. But enough about me, we'll hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. So, look, here's the deal. If you're trying to run, clothes just slow you down. And I'm not saying it was the rip it. I'm not saying it was me at the time. I was a young man. I wanted to break free. But clothes slow you down. And that's just the truth. So, damn it, don't blame rip it and don't blame me. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.